0: If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. The scripture comes from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, and this is the NIV version. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, Alicia, strengthening the churches. Thank you.
1: All right, good morning to you all. <clears throat> to be with you. My, the, so, the sermon title, if you can see in the bulletin, is, is called Messy Mission. And what I want to do today is talk about how, quite amazingly, the mission of God moves out into the world, not just through us, it is through us. But in spite of us, which is sometimes kind of miraculous, in spite of our disagreements, in spite of our shortcomings as Christ's body, in spite of sometimes the barriers we put up, the mission of God moves forth. And I think this is a, a helpful I thought about this passage this week. I think this is a helpful place to, to kind of hang out because it, um, it has this story about a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. I need to give you a little bit of background. Uh, I know we're kind of just kind of parachuting into Acts here But Acts is um, is written by Luke. It's kind of the second part of Luke's gospel. So if you think about Luke, Acts is kind of the second part of Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, the movement is all towards Jerusalem. That's a general trajectory of where things are going. They're going to Jerusalem, where Jesus is. uh, He's tried. He's crucified. He's raised from the dead. And then in Acts, it's the complete opposite. It starts in Jerusalem, and then it spreads out through Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the ends of the Roman Empire. And, of course, one of the key players in that is the Apostle Paul, also called Saul, early on in the the book. And he takes these three missionary journeys. The first one happens around AD 47, and there's these two other guys that you you might be familiar with that go with Paul, Barnabas and a guy named Mark or, or John Mark. So Barnabas were introduced to earlier on in the book of Acts. He's, the, he's from Cyprus. He's from this island in the Mediterranean. We'll see a little map here in a second. But he's, he does this cool thing where he sells uh, a field, and he brings the money and puts it at the apostles' feet. And then there's John Mark, who is Barnabas' cousin. That's something to kind of think about. This is Barnabas' cousin. And he's usually thought of as the author of the Gospel of Mark. So do you, you have that map, Ron? Uh, If you want to look up, this is a map of the first um, uh, mission trip they take. So they start out here in Syria, and they head to Cyprus, where Barnabas is from, and they walk across the island, and then they head across the Mediterranean Sea to Pamphylia. Um, And that's the place, you can leave that up for a second, but that's the place I want you to kind of pay attention to. That's in Asia Minor, that's modern day, the southern coast of Turkey today. And that's important because that's where John Mark then leaves to go back to Jerusalem. We don't know why he left. It doesn't tell us there why he left. But John Mark takes off and he leaves Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas then keep going. They do their first mission trip. They go into these uh, Asia Minor. They circle back. And then they come back to Syria. And then some, some other stuff happens. Skip up a little bit. But some time passes. And Paul says, let's go back to those towns where we preach the word and see, what the Lord, and see what's going on. See how they're doing. You can take that off now, thanks. So Barnabas is good with that. The mission is, Barnabas is all on board with the mission. He wants to take John Mark with him, which is a problem for Paul. Why? Because the first go around, John Mark, we find out here, had not just left, he had deserted him. That's what the text says. This is is a non-negotiable, this is a non-starter for Paul. This is bad. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, we read earlier, had risked their lives for the name uh, of Jesus Christ on this missionary journey. It's not like this was a, a Mediterranean cruise where they're kind of hanging out and then John Mark gets bored and he goes home. This is hardship, trials, they could have died. Ready to head out again, Paul's ready to head out again, Barnabas is ready, Barnabas wants to take John Mark and Paul says, no way. Barnabas has a different perspective. He wants to give John Mark another chance. Um, As far as we can tell, he doesn't make excuses for him, but he wants to give him another chance. You can just kind of imagine this dialogue. Like There's no way Barnabas is going with us. He deserted us. We can't trust him. Give him a second chance, Paul. No way. And and Luke tells us, the author of Acts, this was no small disagreement. This was a sharp disagreement. This word has behind it anger, exasperation. Right, So not a minor disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So much so that they can't figure this out. They, they, it ruptures this relationship and they go their separate ways. And I just want you to kind of imagine how painful that would be. Right? These are guys who probably spent six months together on that first mission. They labored on behalf of the Lord. I, I, don't, think, I don't know if anything probably bonds humans together more than a common mission, but also... Risking their lives together, right? They are dependent uh, for their lives on the other person, right? You can imagine how bonded Paul and Barnabas were. And they're not disagreeing about the mission, they're disagreeing about this guy, John Mark. So, who's right here? Is Paul right in this disagreement or is Barnabas right in this disagre- disagreement? Is Paul right that we cannot trust, they cannot trust Barna- um, John Mark, he can't take the pressure? He deserted us once, he's going to do it again. You know, Jesus, let's look back at Jesus' words. He certainly had um, some things to say about counting the cost of following him, about kind of not looking back from the plow, right? So we can kind of see how maybe Paul's case for this. What about Barnabas? Jesus certainly has a lot to say about second chances, forgiveness, and mercy. And this, this rupture between Paul and Barnabas is not just painful, it's kind of embarrassing when you think about it. Two faithful followers of Jesus who had given their lives to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot figure this out. They just keep going round and round and round. Maybe, maybe some of you uh, had an experience as you got older of learning some details in your family history of family dynamics, maybe family stories that were left out right, when you were growing up. And then as you get older, things uh, emerge. And it's understandable that you know, maybe some of these are kind of embarrassing, like, it's understandable. Maybe your parents didn't want to talk about them. I'll give you an. I'll give you an example from my life. I had just wonderful grandparents who loved me, who spent tons of time with me. I could hardly ask for better grandparents. And as I got older, I learned my grandparents were not perfect. Um, they had their quirks. They had done, you know, much of it inadvertently things that hurt their own children. Um, and, and, and hearing those stories about these grandparents that I, I, I kind of I, I idealized in many ways was hard because I had to adjust this image in my head, but it was also helpful, right? I could see them now, as challenging as that was, honestly, as broken people, imperfect people like myself. And not only that, but, you know, we inherit so much in our families through these stories and these history, and a lot of that is good, hopefully, but we inherit challenges, Right? Some of these dynamics just move from one generation to the other. And sometimes it's helpful to look back and say, it's time to make a change in this generation. It's time to not uh, perpetuate that thing that's come down to our family. So you have the chance of doing things differently. Um, And I think there's something similar maybe when we study the Bible when we're younger. um, uh, We see so much, kind of maybe we sometimes idealize some of these heroes of the Bible. And then we get older and you read these stories and you're like, man, these guys Fail like critical failure at crucial moments in the gospel. Um, You know, Acts, early Acts, has this beautiful description of the church uh, eating together, fellowshipping together, worshiping together, sharing their possessions together. Um, Beautiful stories of the church. And then we have these stories like in 1 Corinthians that make you want to blush when we have Paul having to address a situation where a man is sleeping with his father's wife. I'm not making that up. It's in 1 Corinthians. This is really embarrassing, right? This is kind of embarrassing what's happening here. Two guys, Barnabas, son of encouragement, and Paul. Remember Paul, we studied Philippians. It's been a few years. He told the believers there to be of the same mind. He seems to not be quite living that up himself. And these guys can't figure it out. Luke could have left this out. He didn't have to put this in. I'm glad he did. It shows us the Bible is not unfamiliar with messiness and disagreements and even the parting of ways by parties that can't agree, right? We, I just want to name, we know something about this as a congregation. Two weeks ago, after 15 months of discernment work, the congregation made the decision to leave Ohio Mennonite Conference and affiliate with LMC. And that comes after almost 10 years, longer than I've been in Ohio Conference, The conference struggling whether to stay with this denomination, Midnight Church USA. It comes after a year of discernment where Ohio Conference delegates gathered in Kidron, and we were some of those. I was there. A few of you were there. And we just, as a conference, could not come to the same mind about which direction the conference would go. There's been a lot of challenges, a lot of frustration. In those last 10 years, there's been a lot of parting of ways. It's all within a denomination that's, I think, that's less than 25 years old that came about by the merging of the old Mennonite Church and General Conference of Mennonite Church. That's half the size it used to be. Mennonites know something about disagreements, about the challenge of coming to the same mind together about parting ways. But not just Mennonites, Christians in general know a lot about this. There are, look this up, it's really remarkable. There's something like 45,000 Christian denominations in the world today almost all of which came after the Protestant Reformation in 1517. So this is only like 500 years, and we've been able to come up with 45,000 denominations. Um, we're coming up on 500 years since the beginning of Anabaptism. I, a, it's a, in many ways, it's really cool. We, should, we need to mark that. We need to do some work with that. But we, we also need to acknowledge we're celebrating a painful division within the Western church. I mean, that's what Anabaptism is. It's, it's a division within the church, and it's painful. Go back farther. Go back to 1054. If you know your church history, the Eastern churches and the Western churches, the Roman Catholic churches and the the Eastern Orthodox churches cannot agree, and they have a great what's called the Great Schism. They go different ways. There's a a whole different world, Christianity world, the East that often we don't think about because we're in the Western world. But that was a huge split, and and there's lots of different reasons for it. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think this is interesting. one of the biggest reasons was from one little word named filioque, filioque, which in Latin means and from the Son. So I'll just hold with me for a second, geek out on theology. Those words were not in the original Nicene Creed, but Western churches started Adam that the, and admit that the Holy Spirit proceeds not just from the Father, but from the Father and the Son. And Eastern Christianity rejected that. To most of us, a major schism over one word and more than that, but one word just sounds crazy. And like theologians can kind of tell us like why this matters and our understanding of the Trinity. We'll save that sermon for another day. You can look forward to that one. But my point is that splitting over differences is nothing new. Interestingly, last week, January 18th through 25th, was actually the annual observance of the week of prayer for Christian unity, where Christians are reminded of what Jesus said in John 17, 21, they may be one so that the world may believe, right? The reason why we have this week of Christian unity is because, if we're honest, we know we as Christians are not one. So what do we, what do, we do with that reality? What do we do with that challenging reality, um, coming back to our situation with Higher Conference? I think the first thing that I think we need to do is just mourn that reality. We can do that on a global level, and that's kind of what was happening last week. There's a the lack of unity between East and West, between denominations in our own country, uh, throughout the church. We can mourn these split after split after split after split that comes down to us in the history of the church. But we can also, on a more personal level, mourn our departure from Ohio Conference. And I encourage us to do that. We mourn there because there's division, because there's pain. Most of the members of the congregation who voted on this believed it was time to make this change. But not all. Right? And if you didn't believe it was time to make this change, this is even more challenging for you. But whether you feel this is the right direction or not, I think we as a congregation need to at least mark this and mourn the pain that comes from it. I've, again, I've only been part of Ohio Conference for about six and a half years, but I have many close relationships in the conference, especially with pastors. Um, I found my way to this congregation through Ohio Conference and the regional pastor I've been mentored by a couple different pastors in Ohio Conference. I was ordained in this conference. Most of you have much, much longer history in Ohio Conference than I do. We're one of the oldest, if not the oldest, Mennonite congregation in Ohio. We have deep, deep roots with this conference. And whether you felt it was time to make that change or not, we recognize that there's a loss, and we acknowledge that. The second thing I want to say this morning is that if you are a bit worn out from discernment, that is understandable. (laughs) Yeah, there's probably some people that are worn out. We've spent 15 months uh, discerning, not just future affiliation, we've spent a lot of time uh, coming up with a new mission statement and new core values. We've talked about human sexuality. If you, like 15 months, if you took any one of these topics, affiliation, mission and values, and human sexuality, and you just worked on one of them, that would have been a lot of work. We took on all three, right? We're very ambitious as a leadership team, congregation, I guess, in doing that. But we took on all three, and you all did a great job. You hung with each other. You worked hard. You were patient. You were humble. You engaged. Uh, um, there's so many things that went right. But it was a lot, right? It's, it, it can wear us out. It takes a toll. So this question of Paul and Barnabas, who was Right? Was, was, who was right about John Mark? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? Well, Luke doesn't actually tell us, does he? Luke seems more interested in just being realistic about the situation than telling us kind of who was right. Um, did we get every last thing in our discernment process perfectly done? Uh, do we do it perfectly? I doubt it. <laughs> One of the prayers that we prayed often uh, was this prayer. It was a prayer of indifference. I think Charlotte led it for a number of times it was this, we ask God to work in our hearts and to make us indifferent to anything but the will of God. It's a really powerful prayer. Lord, we just want to be indifferent to anything but your will. Now, were we able to all fully set aside our personal preferences and our history and only be open to the will of God? I think we tried, and I think the reality is that's really, really hard. It's hard to let go of preferences. Was Paul able to... Uh, lay back his annoyance with John Mark that he had deserted him to be really sober-minded and thinking, is John Mark the best thing for this mission? I doubt it. Was Barnabas able to lay aside the fact that, that John Mark was his cousin to be really clear-headed about this decision? I doubt it. So not only do we kind of hold this decision in, a, in some sadness, we hold it with humility, right? We recognize we don't always get things right, even when we try, so we hold it both with sadness and humility. So after going round and round about John Mark, Paul and Barnabas, they can't come to an agreement, so they split. Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go to Cyprus, where Barnabas is from. Paul chooses Silas, and they head back to these churches that they had planted, and they, they go, go forward to strengthening them on this uh, second mission trip. So now instead of one mission, there's two mission trips that go out. Now here's my question for you. Was that what the Holy Spirit desired? Right. Did, the, did the Holy Spirit desire that there go to two missions? Um, the title of this book that we're, you know, of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. But what a lot of times people will point out is that maybe a more appropriate title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because again and again, if you read Acts, it's the Holy Spirit that's moving forward on, the, on a mission. It's the driving force of what happens. So, for example, earlier, uh, before Paul and Barnabas take off on their first missionary journey... We read that the church, they're at the church at Antioch and they're worshiping and they're fasting and the Holy Spirit says this to them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay. Holy Spirit, very clear word to the church at Antioch. I want these guys to go on mission. Send these guys, Barnabas and Paul. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit messed up? Did the Holy Spirit mess up when he combined these two together to go on mission? I don't think so. Does that mean then that the Holy Spirit created this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that there'd be two missions instead of one? Well, the text doesn't say that. Here's what we see, and here's what's important to see. The Holy Spirit is able to work amidst the messiness of these guys, of these humans. Think about, just think about I, we take this for granted, but think about how crazy this is, that the God of the universe invites people like us, the people like Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas seem... Well, They seem like they might know what they're doing, but he invites us to co-labor with him in this mission of redeeming the world, of reconciling all things to himself. Anybody, I'm sure, anybody ever made cookies with a very, very young child? Um, Do you do that because it makes it easier for you to make those cookies? I I doubt it. Um, Inviting a young child to make cookies or to work on a carpentry project or whatever you want to fill in Almost always complicates the process. It's almost always messier, like literally, literally messy in the kitchen, it's messier. And the it product is often not very pretty. Right? It doesn't always look maybe exactly how it's supposed to be. And I think the temptation, if you are a parent or grandparent, or whoever, an uncle, aunt, is to just say at some point, you know, I'm just gonna do this. Just I appreciate the offer, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> um, It's amazing when you think about it, how good we are as humans at messing things up. We're really good at messing things up. And yet, God continues to allow us to join with him in his mission, to allow him to continue with the the story, to make make cookies with him, right? To keep making a mess. The kitchen gets messy. The product doesn't turn out like it's supposed to. You would think at some point, God of the universe would look down at his church or look at his church and say, why don't you just step aside? God could do that. God could just say, all right, I'm going to like sideline my church and I'm just going to go at this by myself. You guys have a long history of making a mess. And yet he doesn't do that. He continually invites us to co-labor with him in this mission, right? Paul and Barnabas, these two faithful disciples are in this messy, contentious, heated, painful argument that they cannot get figured out no matter how hard they try. I don't think that was what the Holy Spirit was hoping for when, when he called them. And yet, the Holy Spirit is able to work through a messy, contentious, heated, painful argument to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't hear anything more about uh, Barnabas and, and John Mark's mission, but we know when Paul and Silas take off, the Holy Spirit is very active. The Holy Spirit is keeping them from going to one place. Um, a man from Macedonia comes in Paul's dream and is begs him to come over. The Spirit does not give up on Paul and Silas just because things got messy. The Spirit of God both uses people like Paul and Barnabas to advance the gospel, and thankfully the Spirit is powerful enough to overcome those barriers, those messes, those disagreements that inevitably come when people get involved. If not, you and I, are, we'd never know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would have died in Palestine. It never would have got out. But again and again, we see this in the Bible, that the, the mission of God goes forth despite our mess, despite our disagreements, and we are invited into that mission as messy-wizzy as we are. One other thing I want to point out about this passage is that we think that's helpful is that we can learn about disagreements. Even sharp disagreements don't mean that relationships are destroyed. So some years after this sharp uh, disagreement happens between Paul and Barnabas, Paul mentions Barnabas in another letter as a fellow laborer in the kingdom. Paul doesn't, he doesn't, I don't think he stops praying for Barnabas just because they go separate ways. And then in 2 Timothy, maybe this is even more surprising. Paul writes this to Timothy. So 2 Timothy is a letter, Paul to Timothy, and he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. That's really surprising. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's useful. This is a guy that Paul thought, this guy is a deserter, I don't want this guy in the mission, and yet years later he's writing, he said, bring Mark, he's useful. Not only does the mission go forth, actually two missions, but we see that despite these sharp disagreements, they don't stop caring for each other. I'm sure that, again, that Paul didn't stop praying for Barnabas, even though they couldn't agree. Why? Because the mission of God is so much bigger than whatever disagreements they had. So as I mentioned, we've been, pretty, we've been pretty inwardly focused for the last 15 uh, months in this discernment work. And it's, it's important work we've been doing. It's necessary work. But we, I think we just need to kind of mark. We can't stay in this. Neither, I don't think you want to stay in this place. But we can't stay in this place, right? We're, we're making a shift here. We're going we're gonna to make a turn here as a congregation. And one of the things you helped create during this discernment was a mission statement, right? Meaning we have a mission. We have work to do. To be go out and to be a welcoming community that nurtures disciples of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ. Right, hopefully, every time you come into church, you'll see it on the marquee, and you'll remember that is our mission. When Paul and Silas went off one way and Barnabas went off another, they went on separate missions, but they were both part of the larger mission of God. We have a, a mission here at Midway that's part of a bigger mission of God, and just like the Holy Spirit is able to overcome barriers is over, able to overcome kind of human ineptitude and acts to advance the mission of God, we trust the Holy Spirit is going to do the same thing, and that gives us hope. That despite our many shortcomings, the Holy Spirit can work with us. The other thing we've done, as you can put up the next slide, is we've chosen, you have chosen to join with the Fellowship of Anabaptist Churches with this missional vision, a Spirit-led movement to make disciples of Jesus mobilize every member as a missionary, and multiply faith communities locally and beyond. So that's the vision that you said we're going to join with that vision. I just want to point out that word spirit-led, especially in light of being in the word Acts. If there's anything we learn about spirit-led in the book of Acts, is that the spirit is going to constantly take people out of their comfort zone. If you thought this move was a move to comfort, I just want to say no. If we are spirit-led, we will actually be moved out of comfort. This is a move out of the status quo, not into the status quo, not backwards. Look at the book of Acts. He, Jewish believers who want nothing to do with Gentile believers all of a sudden are having to come to grips with the fact that the spirit is leading them to be reconciled. That, that's not that shocking to us. For someone who's Jewish at the time to eat with Gentiles is just shocking. Would have totally taken them out of their comfort zone. What does it mean for us to be a welcoming community? How might that take us out of our comfort zone? Are we ready to be taken out of our comfort zone? Do you realize, and I mean this in the best way, that you as a congregation have taken a risk? You have moved away from the status quo. You have said, I want to be a spirit-led congregation. I think that's exciting in many ways, and that is a scary prospect to let the spirit lead us. Are we going to let the spirit lead us? Secondly, it says, make disciples of Jesus and mobilize every member as a missionary. Are you ready to make disciples of Jesus? We, so we put that in our mission statement. Nurturing disciples of Jesus means that we as a congregation want to grow in our own faith. We don't want to just be stagnant in our own discipleship journey. And we also want to invite other people to follow Jesus with us. Are you ready to nurture and make disciples? And then are you, it says mobilize every member as a missionary. Did you see that? When you, when you That's a little bit of a scary statement. Are you, are you every member ready to be mobilized as a missionary? I think that's going to be a shift for us. Right? I think that's going to be a shift. I think that's going to be a good shift for us, but I think that's going to be a shift for us, right? We went through a long season of discernment that I said was necessary, that I I want to applaud you as a congregation for hanging with the leadership team, for hanging with each other. I just want to kind of say it's time to make a shift. It's time to now live into this mission statement that we've come up with and to join with not only the mission of God, but with the mission of LMC. And if we're going to do that by, the, by God's grace and powered by God's spirit, we need everyone to do that. And I want to speak in particular to, to those in the congregation whose preference would have been to stay uh, with Ohio Conference. I want to honor that, that feeling you have. I want to recognize that pain that you have more so than, than probably uh, other people. And I want to say in order to live into the mission of our congregation, we need you. If you, if you took part in our discernment on human sexuality, you know we don't agree on everything. You know that there are diverse voices in this congregation, and there are diverse perspectives in this congregation, and those di- that diversity has the potential to make us a better congregation. It doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be further disagreements that happen down the road. Our trust, I think, in looking at the Scripture, is that despite our messes, despite our disagreements, God continues to invite us, remarkably, to be co-laborers with him. I just want to just say again, we are going to be a better congregation with everyone moving forward in mission. You know, again, looking back at (laughs) the long history of divisions in the church, um, the imperfect nature of the church, the messy nature of the church. Um, I want to say this without denying or minimizing the the church, uh, Christ's body, on earth, but we also just need to recognize that our faith is ultimately not in an institution. That's why even out of messiness and division and departures, we can still have hope because ultimately, as much as the church matters, and it does, our faith is not ultimately an institution. As James Martin points out, it's good to remember that the church did not die and rise from the dead. Jesus did. And especially in challenging times and difficult times, we need to remind ourselves our ultimate faith is not in an institution, but it is in a person, Jesus. And that is what gives us hope to move forward.